It's over, right? <laughs> I wasn't sure if it's still going. That's awesome. Put your hands together for this crew, huh? If you have your Bibles, open them up. Open them up to Jonah. Chapter 3 is where we're going to be at tonight. Jonah, chapter 3. Hopefully you have your Bibles. Take a look at it. Tonight, we're going to be looking at something pretty important, and I want to kind of give you a heads up on it because I don't want it to catch you off guard. It's a decision night tonight. Decision night for Hume means we talk about a thing called the gospel, the good news. And uh, by the end of the night, you're going to have an opportunity to make a decision for following Jesus, whether you believe him, you can make a decision on that, or whether you decide, no, I'm good. You're going to have time to make a decision, and I tell you that ahead of time because I don't want you to be feel like that we're tricking you into something. We're not. Tonight, what I want to do is just talk to you about truth, the truth that Jonah was to say to Nineveh about who God is and his mercy and his love, and as you could see here, Jonah didn't want anything to do with that. I do. He came, he had a job to do, Jonah, at the beginning of chapter 1, his job is, is to speak on behalf of God, to go to Nineveh, this city that wanted nothing to do with God, and tell them about God's love. And he went, went the other way thinking that he knew best. And God brings a storm and brings a fish, and there Jonah repents a little bit, kind of, <laughs> recognizing God is in control of everything, and then it spits him out on dry land, and then he goes to Nineveh, and that's where we're at in chapter 3. It says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So this time Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, and the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, the one in charge of this great city. And this king arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He humbled himself in front of everyone, and especially in front of the Lord, recognizing a right view of God and in, in, in him, his, uh, his humble nature before God. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Let man or beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways, from the violence that, it in, it, that is in his hands. Verse 9, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent to, and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Would you pray with me? 
Lord, we come before you and ask that you go before us tonight, that you remind us of your word, and that we have a right view of who you are and our need, desperate need for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So many good lines in this script, and it's so hard because we miss some of them. But here's Jonah supposed to go and have a heart for Nineveh. Why? Because God has a heart for Nineveh. And, 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 and the bee is constantly reminding me, for someone who follows the gardener, you sure don't look like the gardener at all. You don't resemble the gardener in your ways that you're talking. And he's like, there's no way. Look how gross they are. Look what they're doing. They, there's no way that they would turn and recognize the gardener for who he is. And, and the bee says something interesting. I wrote it down here. It says, the gardener has such a big heart. I'm sure he would give them a second chance if they asked for one. What a good line. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Is the gardener's heart for his gnomes, or most importantly, God's heart for people. Not just Jonah and his God's people, but for the world. And he says, I don't want anyone to perish. So Jonah goes reluctantly and he, he tells, the, you know, hey, Nineveh, you better repent. Or really, he really doesn't even say that. He just says, hey, this place is going down. And they take that and they're like, they know who Jonah is. They know who Jonah's God is. And they're like, well, we know what Jonah's God can do. We want nothing to do with that destruction. So they repent. Repent means just literally going the other way, getting off their, their focus on themselves and their ways and turning and recognizing God for who he is. The king says something interesting, though, and it stopped me in my tracks, and it says this. In verse, in verse 9, the king makes this decree as he takes his crown off, as he gets off of his throne, recognizing, I, I need a right view of God, and he says this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to recognize God for who he is, and then look at verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? If we do all these things, if we repent, who knows? Maybe we won't perish. Who knows? That's an interesting phrase. I have friends, some who know the Lord, some who don't. And I'm asked this, this question sometimes. But how can you really know? Like, who, who knows if, if you're going to heaven? kind of raised my hand and I'm like oh I know they're like but how can you really know like who knows right how, how do you know that you've done enough good things and I'm like oh my friends that's where you're wrong I I I know for a fact I haven't done all the right things but I know one who has and that gives me an opportunity to share about the good news to my friends to family and to you awesome people tonight. It's the good news. It's what we as Christians call good news. Because why? Because it's good news. It's the gospel. And, and look, there's some of you in the room, you're like, oh, the gospel. I'm a Christian. I already know this. I'm going to go ahead in sleepy time, right? I'm not going to stop you. But can I encourage you Christians? We're talking about good news. Great news the most important news. And do you think that this message is only supposed to be heard one time? 
Friends, those that are call themselves Christ followers, this news is the news that gives us life. And if we find ourselves falling asleep or getting bored of the gospel, can I encourage you? Maybe you don't know the gospel because it's not news that we fall asleep to. It's news that makes us alive. And Christians in this room, those that profess Christ is their Lord and King. My question to you that I want you to think about is, do you know how to share the gospel? And if not, maybe you should start taking some notes of what it looks like, of how to present the good news. And so let's get to it. The good news. Where do we start? Let's start in the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1 of the Bible. And it says, in the beginning... God. And it starts with him. We talked about that last night. In the beginning, God. This God, he, he, he's eternal. He's fully satisfying, holy. He's personal. He's hope. He is love. He's faithful. He's creator. He created it all. What did he create? Everything around us. We see that in, in Genesis 2. He creates not just uh, the world, the land, the sea, all the animals and all the plants. He doesn't just create that. He creates us, right? You see in there? Us. Ooh, right? Relax, right? He creates us, but here's what I love about us. Look at this. He creates us to enjoy a relationship with one another, which is good, because in the beginning, he created us to enjoy one another, and he says, it's good. But what's awesome is, look, he gives us a way to enjoy him. He gives us him. Who is him? He is life. He is what life is truly all about. And in the beginning, it was always him, Father, Son, Spirit, just always existing and just showing us what a relationship with one another looks like. And God says, I want you to enjoy me. And so in Genesis 3, he walks with his creation as they, we get to enjoy him. And that's what life was meant to be. One, that, that we are connected to our life source. Uh, him who is personal and fully loved and holy and satisfying and just. Who is, who is good. And life is good. Until in the garden in chapter 3, Adam and Eve wanted something more because they were walking with their creator as life was meant to be. And then God says, don't do this. And they do the opposite. Why? Because they think that they knew better than God. And that's where sin enters into humanity. What is sin? Sin is a compromise of God's laws and our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our attitudes. God says something and we go the, do the opposite. That's sin. And before we go and blame Adam and Eve, Romans chapter 3, and if you didn't bring your Bibles, I brought one for you, so here we go. Romans chapter 3 says this, all have sinned, all have sinned. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory, of the holiness, of who he is. We have, we've fallen short of him. That shouldn't really shock us, right? Because he is all these things and so much more, and we're just not that. And one sin makes me, uh, you know, I'm just, I, I've fallen short of this glory, of this standard, of this perfect standard. I've done it and you've done it. It doesn't shock us. The problem is, we talked about it last night, the consequences of our sin. Well, what is the consequences of our sin? I'm glad you asked. Turn your Bibles to chapter 6 of Romans. You don't have it? Take a look at my Bible. 
Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin. The wages is my earnings. You have a job, your wages, your earnings is what you work for. Unfortunately, sin has wages or consequences. The consequences of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But let's focus on the wages of sin is death. Because that's one of those things where like, what is it? So, so we all have recognized that we were created on purpose for a purpose to enjoy him. Yet sin enters the world and, and, and sin is a part of our human nature now. And we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, I can, I can get behind that. The wages of sin is death. Okay, so I die. I mean, that stinks, or I don't want to die, but if I die, I mean, that's it. The wages of sin is death, yes. Physical death, yes. Not a big shocker. We all have a one in one chance of dying. We get that. The scary thing is what we don't understand is it's talking about a spiritual death, and spiritual death is so much worse than just a physical death. You see, if God has created us to enjoy him and we decide, you know what, I don't want you even for a moment. I'm going to live my own life, my own way, and we sin. The problem is we are then spiritually cut off from our life source. And we maybe gasp and we think, oh, no, what do we do? This is us. Broken. Literally, us breaks, right? That, that as we're cut off from our life source, we break apart as well. Why? Because the consequences of sin is death, a spiritual separation from our life source. We are no longer connected to him who is life in love, in hope, in satisfying, in good. We no longer are connected to that. And so what do we do? We look for love and hope and fulfillment and other things. And guess what? It never satisfies, ever. And some of you are experiencing that as you're trying to tap into all of these things that are a cheap imitation of him. Why? Because we're trying to get back to what we are created to be with. And we say consequences of sin, it's not a big deal. So I sin one time and now I'm separated. Well, unfortunately, it's Adam and Eve. Sin is, in, is ingrained in us. So we've all sinned. And you could say, well, it's not that big of a deal. So one sin separates me? Yeah, why? Because rebellion is a big deal to God. You're saying, I don't want you. I want something else. And I know better than you. And he's like, but you don't because I am me. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and the consequences of sin is death. And here's the problem, that the consequences is, is, a, is a physical death and a spiritual death. And the problem is, is if we die physically, apart from him spiritually, we will stay that way for eternity. If we die physically, Broken from our life source. If we die physically apart from him, broken spiritually, we'll stay that way for eternity. And that's what hell is. It's an absence of who he is. Love, hope, peace, life. That is it. That's what it is. But that's okay. Because I could come to camp 
I could eat some good food and sing some good songs, and that makes me connected to my life source again. Oops. I can come and, and read the Bible a lot and go to church, and that would then actually connect me back to my life source again. That doesn't work. I can do all of these good things, and I can earn it. I can earn it back. I can connect this by working really, really hard. If I, just, if I work really, really hard to be really, really good and, and don't sin again, then I can then connect it again. Whoops, why? The wages of sin is death. And someone has to pay this price. But the problem is, is if you die spiritually apart from him, physically, physically, apart from him spiritually, you'll stay that way from eternity. We need help. We need someone to die in our place to, to, to take that on, to be a, a substitute for us. But who can do that? They, everyone has their own sin. Everyone has to pay this price. And then we get to Romans chapter 5 that says this. While we were still sinners, God shows his love for us. His love, who he is. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still broken and rebellious against God, Christ died for us. John 3.16, a very interesting passage. A lot of us know. And it's interesting because what did the king ask in, in, in Jonah? He says, maybe, maybe, who knows? If we do all these things, maybe we won't perish. What's John 3.16 says that this? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This idea that Jesus, who is fully God, fully man, he leaves heaven knowing the only way back to the Father is going to be through him. Doesn't that sound interesting? That God even says, Jesus comes. He lives a perfect life, showing us that it's actually possible to live an obedient life, one free of sin, that he is, he is focused on the Father always. And this perfect God, man, Jesus, he comes down and he lives a perfect life. And he goes to the cross. And no one put him there. He puts himself there. Why? Because he had a plan. And when you think he's not in control and bad people can mess with things, all these people that are putting him on the cross, that are sinning by putting Jesus on the cross, is actually using it for God's salvation for all of us. It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says, look, I am the only way. I am the only truth. I, I alone am the only life. I am the only way back to the Father, is through me. That's it. Listen, hang on, hang on, hang on. Listen, I don't clap and I don't put this up. I don't like it. It's cheesy to me. But I, what I need us to understand is a right view and understanding. He is our life source. He is it. 
And he says, come to me, all you who are burdened. I will give you rest. Don't use this cheap imitation of a world that's going to offer you things that is just a cheap imitation of me. I am it. I am hope. I am life. I am love. I am these things. And you've believed the lie that you can get those things on your own and you can't. Because apart from me, you are lost. And Jesus says, I love you so much that I will take on the punishment. That while you're still sinner and a rebellious enemy against me, I will go to the cross and I will pay the price for you. Why? Because someone has to pay the price of death. So Jesus took on your sin. And what's unbelievable about it, and it makes no sense to me, not only does he take on our sin, he gives us his perfection, his righteousness. Because the wages of sin is death. But here's what's crazy is God be being all of these things has, has justice to be paid. And he looks down and he sees either us with our sin or Jesus and the cross is covering us. So he looks down and he sees you and you're like, you know what, I'm going to pay for my sin. He's like, okay, then you're going to be separated from me forever. Or you, he looks down and sees Jesus covering you and he's like, Jesus' righteousness is covering us. And he says, all right, you're, you're innocent. Why? Because we get his righteousness. So can it be that easy? It is. We see it in Jonah. All they do is they repent, they turn, they recognize him for who he is and their need for help. What does that mean? Well, Romans chapter 10, take a look at it. It says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, made right. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Hold on to that slide for a second. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the only one that can pay the price. Believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. You see what's cool about it is Jesus comes, dies on the cross for us. And he doesn't stay dead. We don't worship a dead God. Three days later, he rises from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, showing that he alone has the power to make dead things live. And apart from him, we're broken, dead things. Yet, because of him, he's the way, the truth, and life. He has the power to make dead things live, to make us alive, back to our life source. That's it. So we don't just say it and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We believe. What is belief? Belief isn't, hey, make a little image here and then let you stare at it and you're saved. That's not what it says. Because I wish that it did. Because then I'm like, everybody take a look. Take a look. All eyes up here. Boom, you're saved. It's not what it says. It says belief. Because belief is something that I can't do for you. And belief is something that the counselors and youth pastors that actually love you can't do for you. And belief isn't what grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and uncle and aunt can't do for you. Belief is what you only can do is to believe this is true or not. That there's an all-creator God who is eternal, who is 
creator, who's personal, who is life, who's just, who is love, who is hope, who's fully satisfying, who is good, and the list goes on and on and on, who is personal, who shows you how much he loves you by going to the cross for you, who is set apart, set apart, set apart, and we, he made a relationship with us, and we broke it in page one of the Bible, and the rest of the Bible is him showing how much he loves us. I think there's a lot of people in the room that you know things about God, but you don't believe in him. You believe in you. That you could continue to work to earn your salvation back. But he says, I am the only way. Because it recognizes that you can't do it. But he can and he already did. Second Corinthians says this. For life's, for the love of Christ, it compels us, it controls us. We've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That those who live don't live as if the relationship is broken. They live now as if the relationship is restored. Their life is back with where it's supposed to be. That's what they're living for now. They're living for him. Friends, that's the good news. There was a broken relationship that we couldn't fix. And we were doomed to live our lives separate from him. Not just now in this life, but for all eternity because of rebellion. Yet he fixed the problem. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is who he says he is. And we believe in our heart that he did what he said he could do. We'll be saved. And not just for one day in heaven, friends. Jesus would, throughout his ministry, says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is now. We don't just wait for heaven to enjoy him. We get to enjoy him now. That's the good news. A relationship restored. So my question is, what is stopping you from giving your life to him tonight? crazy about the Lord that I have come to kind of understand as I read scripture is if given enough time God will give you what you want that's scary we see it in Pharaoh we see it in the Bible and we see that now even in salvation if you want nothing to do with him and his son he will grant that you don't you don't want me you don't want to enjoy me, and you don't want to enjoy my son, then guess what? I'll grant that. Not only here on earth, you'll get none of me and my son, and I'll grant that for all of eternity. But I've done everything to show you that I love you and what love truly looks like. And if you want my son and you want me in this life, you will, I'll grant you that and you will have all of me and all of my son, not just now, but for all eternity. And friends, that's the gospel. 
the good news. Does it mean life is easy? No, but it means we are actually doing life again with the one who is life. So I said at the beginning, you have a choice to make. It's not the person next to you. It's not up to them. It's up to you. This isn't your parents' faith. It's not your youth pastor's faith. It's you. Do you believe this to be true? And I'm not asking for an audible response. I think you need to do some processing right now. Is this true or is it not true? Is there a God that created it all or not? But where do we see evidence? This building's really awesome, isn't it? This building's really awesome. Isn't it so cool how it just appeared one day? Right over time, it's just so crazy how the lights turn on and came together. Just because of time and the elements, they all blew together, right? It's pretty awesome, isn't it? No, we wouldn't come and walk into the middle of the forest and see this awesome building and think, oh, it's cool how it just kind of came together. What would it say? We'd say, man, there's an architect. This had a design. This had a purpose. It was created by someone, yet we somehow think that the world just made itself up. Friends, it's screaming creator and eternal holy God that loves us. So you've got a choice to make. Is it true or not? I can't believe these things for you. But the king says, who knows? Maybe if we repent, maybe we won't perish. And the Bible says, oh, I come to give you life. Give it abundantly because I don't want anyone to perish. I am the only way, the truth, and the life. You confess and you believe in me, you'll be saved. So, friends, you have a choice to make. Those that have never, again, let me make sure I'm clear on this one. Those that have never put their hope and trust and faith in Jesus. But tonight, for the first time, you're saying, you know what? I don't care who's around me. I believe this to be true and I need Jesus, I need to be covered by what he did for me. If you've never done that and you want to put your hope and faith in him for the first time tonight, I'm going to encourage you in a moment to do something a little difficult. I'm going to ask you to stand up on the count of three, and I do that because there's people in this room that have been praying for you. There are people in this room that cannot wait to come alongside of you and, 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 and get excited with you. But I also do it for you to be able to, with courage, stand up to say, I need Jesus because we're going down the hill tomorrow and I want you to be able to stand for him. Why wouldn't you start by proclaiming it in the midst of a room, mostly Christians? Does standing save you? No. But we want to rejoice with you. So if you've never put your hope and your faith in Jesus, and tonight you say, I want to confess that he is Lord. You want to believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead so that you will be saved. For the first time, you've never done it. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Doesn't matter who stands. Doesn't matter if there's only one. It's not about them. It's not about people sitting next to you. This is between you and the Lord. So take a moment. Is that you? And if so... Count to three, and we'll have you stand kind of right to your feet. Between you and the Lord, here we go. You know you need Jesus for the first time. You've never put your hope and faith in him tonight. You say, I want to put my hope and faith in Jesus. 
for the first time. I'm going to have you stand up on the count of three. One, two, three. Go ahead and stand right up to your feet. right sometimes it gets a you know you get excited about this and we're like i want jesus and you stand up but maybe you already had a relationship with jesus and you're standing up again this is kind of that first time decision you never put your hope and faith in him Uh, if you have feel free to have a seat no problem but those that are standing are saying i need him for the first time Those that are standing, stay standing for just one second. If I could just kind of get some eyeballs here real quick. Standing doesn't mean all of a sudden life is easy. It doesn't mean that tomorrow that all of a sudden all the problems are gone. Here's the cool thing about it. What it does mean is you never have to do it alone again. The God of the universe says, look, I know life is hard, but I got a plan. I got a purpose, and my plan and purpose was bringing you up here for you to understand who I am. And now you get to walk with me. I am good, and I am perfect. And with me, life still gets hard, but I'm going to show my glory off, and you are going to come and walk with me through it, and I will walk with you through it. So, friends, well done. Here's what we're going to do in just a second. I want you to just kind of make some eyeball contact with your, your counselors or youth pastors, those that are standing up. Just make eye contact with your counselors because in a moment I'm going to have you sit down and I'm going to have you stay back for just a few minutes. You're not going to miss anything. But I want you to connect with your youth pastor before you roll out of here or your counselor. And they're going to just walk you through a prayer of what it means to just confess and believe in your heart that Jesus raised from the dead. But you might have questions, and I want you to get those questions answered. So um, before we have you sit down, there's people around here that have just been waiting for you to stand up. It's just the reality. They've been praying for you. And those that are sitting, I've heard you guys cheer during rec. I heard you guys get nuts. If you want to come alongside these people that are standing, you feel free to do it. But on the count of three, can we make some noise and just kind of make it loud in here? Two, listen, wait, wait, wait. Why? Because when life gets hard, may they hear this roar from a bunch of Christ followers. And as life might get hard, may they remember this moment where friends celebrated life with them. So on the count of three, let's make some noise. One, two, three. All right. All right. Those that are standing, have a seat. We're going to get out of here in just a minute. Those that are standing, have a seat. Listen, hopefully, uh, again, those that just stood up, I'm going to have you stay back, all right? Um, I just want you to talk that thing out, so please don't don't roll out. Um, If you wanted to stand up, give your life to the Lord for the first time, but you didn't, it's too late. I'm just kidding, right? No, listen, (laughs) listen. It doesn't have to be in chapel, but friends that have never put their hope and faith in Jesus for salvation, for trust, I'm telling you, a day will come when judgment happens. And he says, I've done it all. Let me pay the price because I already did. You do not want to pay that price alone. And so don't wait. If you walk out these doors and you're like, I should have stayed in, come back. 
And lastly, and then we're going to get out of here, Christ followers in the room. What's amazing about hearing the gospel is it refocuses our hearts and our minds. And we ask ourselves the question, are we living life worthy of the calling we have received? Because what does the word repent mean? What does the word repent mean? Turn around. Here's what's interesting. I think there are Christians in the room that you're living as if the relationship is broken. But it's not. So quit living as if it is. Literally quit living back to this broken life. Literally turn around, look back up in a right view of God. And all that takes is not just to stand up, but maybe a sit down in your seat. Don't leave. Sit and repent and think about who the Lord is and say, God, I need you. I'm so sorry. Don't roll out of here. Do some business with the Lord. So here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to dismiss us. And here's what I'm going to ask you junior hires to do, and I know you can do it. I'm going to ask you in a moment, as quietly as possible, don't don't reach for anything yet. I'm going to ask you to, in a minute, stand up and as quietly as possible, exit out of these doors. And you're going to go back to your cabins. Okay? Quietly. Those that are Christians, start praying for things that are happening in here. If you're, if you're wanting to stay in here because you've made a first-time decision, stay. Nothing's happening outside of camp. They're going back to the cabins. Lead counselors are going to be hanging out with them. They're going to check in on them. So don't go crazy in those cabins. Counselors, you're going to stay in here and you'll go back and forth to the cabins. You know what you're doing. But if you've made a first-time decision, I want you to stay. If you are in here and you're like, I need to do some business with the Lord, then stay. we got youth pastors and counselors going to be hanging out with you. And then Hume staff will talk through what that is. So what we're going to do in a moment, we'll all that want to roll out. You go out these doors. You're going to head back to your cabins. And then at 930, 930 check-in or 930 check-in, right? Broom hockey check-in for the winners that were they're going to the finals. 9:30 check-in. Everybody else is going to be at there at 9:45, and we're going to be doing some broom hockey up there. That is plenty of time. You're not missing anything. We want you to do some business with the Lord. Let me pray for us, and I'll get out of here. Lord, thank you for this amazing crew. Thank you for us to be able to have fun together and and play together and and laugh together and eat meals and do recreation, but most importantly, fellowship and learn about you as we worship you, as we see dramas about you, as we read your word and hear about the good news. And Lord, I thank you for people's lives that were changed for eternity tonight. You did that. Because we can't. Pray for counselors and youth pastors as they discuss. May your spirit just continue to move in our hearts, soften our hearts, and those that want to give their life to you, may they do it. And those Christians that need to stay in here and do some business with you, may they do it as we remember a right view of who you are and what you did for us. We are so thankful. It is in your name we pray. Amen. As quietly as possible.